God has been doing something in our lives for quite some time, and, and um, you know, when you're wrecked and undone, you just sort of just, you know, you just you lose dignity, you lose form, and you get to a place where really all you want is to is to literally draw near to Him, because when we draw near to Him, we draw from Him, and when we draw from Him, we then have something to give the world, and that is ultimately our goal. The goal is transformation. The goal is to see a city touch. The goal is to see the people you work with touch. The goal is to see our family members touched by God, to see their lives transformed because we can't just be satisfied with church and business as usual. And so, I jotted a question down. How serious are you about seeing our city touched by an authentic move of God? I'm not talking about a show. I'm not talking about grandstanding and flakiness and goofiness. I'm talking about an authentic move of God. How serious are you? How serious are you about desiring to see a spiritual awakening? We've read about spiritual awakenings, the Great Awakening, the Welsh Revivals, Azusa Street, and the list goes on and on of these amazing revivals that have broken out and have impacted communities and impacted um, nations, literally. How serious are we about desiring renewal, personally, to where reading the Word of God isn't a labor and a chore and doing your quiet time isn't something you just check off on your U version, your iPhone, where it literally becomes life and it becomes something that's at the center of the core of who you are. Do we really believe that it's God's heart to transform a city? We'll just start with you. Do we believe it's God's heart to transform a person? Listen, I'm in the process of transformation. I'm 30 years old in Jesus. 27 years old of doing 27 years doing this and I'm still looking around going we're not making that big of a difference. This is a city Abilene, Texas. 115,000 on the sign outside where I see it's 115,900 and something. So we're about 116,000, I think 138,000 in the county. We have three mainline denominational schools, which I'm grateful for. Hardin-Simmons, McMurray, ACU. We have churches almost on every corner. <laughs> almost. I mean, everywhere. I don't, I don't know what the number is. Fluctuates from week to week. But So you would think, and it's not uncommon to be in Starbucks and see somebody doing a life group or opening a Bible, and it's like, wow, that's awesome. But did you know the probe study in 2002, the Southern Baptists did a study called Probe, where they contacted all the churches in the community. This was a, this was a, took a while to do this, and I was talking to the director of missions for the, Baptist, uh, for the Southern Baptist, Baptist General Convention of Texas, and he told me, he said, and he actually gave me the study, so I had the stats. But on any given Sunday, now this is in 2002, so we're nine years down the road, and, and there's been some growth in some churches, so we might have put a teeny dent in it. But did you know that on any given Sunday in Abilene, Texas, there were no more than 11,000 people in church on any given Sunday in Abilene, Texas in 2002? 
which tells me that in a community of 116,000, somebody do the math, help me, 9 or 10%, okay, feel like church is important enough or meaningful enough that to get up on a Sunday morning and go. So what that tells me is that we, the church, are ineffective in general. Yes, we're salt. Yes, we're light. We can make up excuses. But at the end of the day, we are not getting it done. Okay? I'm not here to depress you, so we're going we're to pull out of this nosedive in a minute. What that tells me is that we have missed or we are not tapping into something that I believe is available and that is afforded to us in the Word of God, whereby we're commanded, we're commissioned, we're mandated by Jesus himself to go and make disciples of all the nations. And the way the Greek reads in that is actually go and disciple nations. So you put that twist on it, and you realize it's, it's a much bigger thing than just going and having a, a life group in Manila or having a life group in Guatemala City. It literally is discipling nations. We're called to do that. Would God be so mean and so cruel to us that he would give us these amazing um, promises, these amazing mandates, these amazing commissions that we're to go and do these things and yet not give us the ability the grace, the power to do it. Would that not be cruel? That would be a cruel, cruel joke. So what I believe, and I believe that the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is not just an ideal that we aspire to, but it is a mandate that we're supposed to be walking in. But why are we anemic, and why are we not impacting our world? It's because we have not tapped into that which has been made available to us by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. When Jesus said it is finished, he wasn't just crying. He meant it. And so everything that has been afforded to us was sealed on the cross and even more so in the resurrection, whereby we now have an empty cross and an empty tomb because he's alive. And because he has been raised from the dead, we too, you know, when we are baptized, we're buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk, it's Romans chapter 6, raised to walk in his life. We now have the resurrection power, the resurrection grace of God in our lives available. Would you agree with that? Without just opening up scriptures and diving deep in. So what it tells me is that It's not that God has given us an impossible task. It's that we, on our end, have not tapped into the ability, the favor, the power, the grace that has been afforded to us and that Jesus paid with his own blood. So the responsibility at this point, and and listen, I believe at some level in the sovereignty of God, I think God's going to get it done. And if if I don't want to play in the game, I don't want to get out on the field and, and get in the game, he will find somebody who does. But let me tell you something. I want to be in the game. I was never a good bench warmer. I was never, ever good at that. Why do you think I preach? I I was never good at, why do you think I play the game? Why? Because I was never good at sitting there. I had to be doing something. I was that way all my life with everything I've ever done. I've got to be in the game. 
So what I believe that God is calling this church to is a higher level of living than we have been living. And you're like, well, what does that look like? That, that is a, boy, that's a high challenge. What a, what a lofty ideal. I don't believe it's an ideal. I believe it's a mandate from him. So I want to share some scripture with you. I want to say something to you. And this is a, a quote that as, as I was praying, as I was writing one day, this came to me because, again, God connected the dots with what he's called us to do and then what it's going to take for us to do it. And it's, it's, going, to be, it's going to be love. It's going to be driven by love. Now, before you go, oh, that was going to be some heavy-revy, you need to understand most of us do not have a revelation of the love of God. We really don't. We think we do, but we don't. Because if you do, it will wreck you. It will undo you. you. You will hardly be able to function. So let me just say this. Love will take you places where fear will never let you go. All right, I'm going to say it again. Love will take you places where fear will never let you go. So much that we could be doing and so much that we could be enjoying so much that we could be participating in in the things of God, the things of the kingdom, advancing the kingdom, doing what we're are not happening because of fear. Because fear won't let us go. And yet love, because we understand that perfect love casts out all fear. We're going to look at that in just a minute. We understand there's places we can go, but because we've not had a full understanding, a full revelation, a full comprehension of love, because we've not had that, we're still limited in, in our scope. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm trying to set something up here, so I hope you're hanging with me. Love will, never, love will take you places where fear will never let you go. I want to give you a couple of things. So what's it going to take? What's it going to take to, for us to get into a place where we're postured and positioned before God where he can really use us? And here, here's a couple of things. One is radical, intense, furious, unwavering love. Now, I'm not talking about the movie Tangled, although it was a sweet movie. I'm not talking about that kind of love. I'm talking about a love that compels us to go places and do things we normally would not. Okay? So, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, we read this last week or a couple weeks ago. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. We're just noisy. We're just showboating. We're just grandstanding. Now look at the next verse, too. And though I have the gift of prophecy, is there a gift of prophecy available? Yes, we know that. Uh, the scripture over and above, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, 1 Corinthians all of 14. Then also we're told in the book of Joel, but also quoted by Peter when he preached to the Jews at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, 17 following, Spirit of God has been poured out upon all flesh in these last days. Your sons and your daughters shall what? It's not prophesy, it's prophesy, okay? So we're told that. So we know there's a gift available. He says, and though I have that gift and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I'm what? Without love, we're? Without love, we're? Exactly. Nothing, okay? Let's go to the next verse. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I get my body to be burned, but have not love, this is social justice, which is really popular, 
It's become very cool, very hip, very trendy, very in to do social justice in the church. But if we do it and it's not motivated by love and we only do it because we are caught up in a cause, there's some great causes out there. And I'm not bashing social justice, my goodness. But let me caution us prophetically that if if the motive behind what we do in the arena of social justice is not love, it profits what? It profits what? And there's a lot right now people can get so caught up in a fad, a trend, where we will do what's trendy in the Christian culture and think we're doing something when in fact our motive was never right to begin with. Not that God can't use it, not that God won't bless, but, but I caution you that if you're going to get involved in some social cause, a social justice issue, you better be motivated, compelled, and driven by one thing, and that's love. Not because it's cool, not because you get a great t-shirt if you go on the trip, not because you get a neat bracelet, not because you can get a tat because you're in some third world country, but because literally you've been compelled by love, the love of Christ working in and through you. Does that make sense? It's a caution. All right. So it's going to take radical, intense, furious, unwavering love. Number two, what's another thing it's going to take? The ability to demonstrate the kingdom of God here on earth is birthed out of, and I said it before, intimacy with the Father. It's so funny how we want to do Christian things but not be close to God. Or we'll do Christian things and then say, Lord, bless it. We're getting the cart before the horse. What we do in this Christian life that's going to make a lasting impact on the earth, Jesus said, look, you didn't choose me. I chose you, and I ordained you so that you would go and bear fruit, and fruit that will last, fruit that will remain. It's John fifteen sixteen. So the Lord's called us to bear fruit that remain, but that's birth out of intimacy. It's birth out of love. What do you think Jesus was doing when he withdrew often to be alone? He was with the Father. And then he came back and fed 5,000. Then he came back and then he walked on water. Then he came back and healed people. Then he came back and fought the devil and won. Then he came back, I mean, my gosh. But every time he was withdrawing often, withdraw often. Why? To be with the Father. Because that was, his power was birthed, his effectiveness was birthed out of intimacy. We want to run off. And do things for the kingdom of God, but not have intimacy with the Father. And then we wonder why it doesn't work. We pray for somebody and nothing happens, and now we're, we're upset. We're disappointed. Either they didn't have enough faith, or, or, or God doesn't heal anymore. Maybe, God, maybe healing's not for today. So it's easier to blame everybody else except for take responsibility. Go, you know, I have not spent time with the Father. Jesus even said, there's some things that won't even come out except by prayer and fasting. You know what fasting is? It's not a hunger strike to get God's attention. It's, a, it's, the, it's moving away your flesh so you can get close to him. So you remove all distractions. Food can be a distraction, folks. I love it as much as you. But the whole point is, is that we get close to him. Does that make sense? All right. So the ability to demonstrate that Kim God is birthed out of intimacy with the Father. 1 John 4, look what it says. Love has been perfected or completed or made whole is what that literally means among us in this that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Now, look what it says. This is really critical. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Did you catch that? Jesus said, greater things are you going to do than I did. 
because I go to the Father. You're going to do great. Wait, wait a minute, Jesus. You walked on water. You touched people and they were healed. You cast out devils. I mean, he did some amazing things. The lame were healed. The blind had their eyes opened. The oppressed were set free. All these things happen. And then he, he has the audacity to say, because as he is, so are we in this world. What, you mean we're supposed to do something? I thought I was supposed to just hang on until I died. Then I'd go over to Beulah land and be with my granddad in heaven. Wait a minute. There's something to do now. There's something for us to do here. Can I get an amen? So he says, because as he is, so are we in this world. Next thing. There is no fear in love. That is a huge statement. But perfect love, complete love, whole love casts out fear. Did you know that fear is a spirit? First Timothy says this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and of what? Love and of a sound mind, sound thinking. So he says this, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves what? How many of you know the truth of that one besides me? We all know that there is torment and fear. Remember, love will take us places that fear will never let us go. Fear is a stronghold that will hold you back, hold you back. It'll keep you from taking the risk because the last time you did it didn't work out. It'll keep you from engaging in a relationship because the last time you did, you got hurt. It'll keep you from connecting with the church, and we know that connection is protection, but it'll keep you from doing that because the last church you were in, you got hurt. You got disappointed. Somebody let you down. News for you, everybody will let you down on one day or another. Come on, somebody will forget to text you back and you're crushed. I mean, it could be anything. You, you post on Facebook and nobody comments and you're crushed. So, I mean, anything can happen. Life happens with imperfect people, amen? But you have to take the risk. You have to take the shot. There is no fear in love. It casts out fear. Man, what a powerful statement. Perfect love, whole love. The love of the Father, which, by the way, is supernatural. The word supernatural simply means above nature. It doesn't mean magical, spooky, mystery. It just means above nature, that which is not normal. Above nature. Look what it does. It literally casts out the spirit of fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made whole, complete, perfect in love. See how that makes sense? Last one. We love him because he first loved us. Man, don't ever think, well, I decided to follow Jesus. I chose Jesus. Whoa, wait a minute. He initiated this thing a long time ago. He's been working on you. He's been orchestrating events. He, he's been coordinating an amazing orchestra on your behalf. He loves you. He loved us first. Amen? And the last thing is this. Then we're going to do something. Transformation is the goal. Transformation is the, the word transform means to literally change form. Trans, change. It literally means to change shape, change its form, even change its essence. So when something transforms, you have a caterpillar, which is icky, icky, gross, and then it transforms into a butterfly, and you go, oh, that's beautiful. Wow. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? Two days ago, you wouldn't have touched the thing with a 10-foot pole. But when it emerges from its cocoon, it's like, wow. And we chase them and we catch them and put them in jars and we go, wow, because they're so beautiful. That's transformed. 
And let me tell you something. God's desire is to transform every one of us. See, we know that Jesus said we're to go and make disciples, but really what discipleship is, a disciple is one who has been transformed, who now has the capacity to help another person be led to Christ so that they too can be transformed. So in a very real sense, we are transformers who transform and help others transform. And the discipleship chain goes on. We make disciples who make disciples. We are transformers who help others transform. Does this make sense? So that's the goal is transformation. But love is the vehicle. You've got to get there somehow. And I'm telling you, it's going to be love that gets you there. It's not going to be trying to build a bigger church or try to build a bigger ministry or build a name or get your name in a magazine and all that goofy stuff. It's going to be because you actually love a person so much that that love will take you so deep into their life and, and that because the fear won't let you go there, but love will take you there to where you love somebody so much you take the risk. You take the abuse. I'm not talking about abusive relationship. I'm talking about just normal relationships. When I say abuse, that means that means that, that pushback, that, that oh, I don't know if I'm going to go there or not. Oh, I love you so much. I'm sorry I can't let you go. I, I care too much. The love of Christ compels us. Does this make sense? The anointing is the fuel. It's, this is, this is what, what Christ had on his life that actually generated the power. Let's look at the scripture. Luke four sixteen. Look what it says. So he came to Nazareth. This is Jesus right after he came out of the temptation in the desert. The Bible says he's, he was led by the Spirit into the desert for 40 days to be tempted of the devil. Remember that? Interesting. In Luke, it says he came out of the desert, it, quote, in the power of the Spirit. He went in led by the Spirit, came out in power. Went in led, came out in power. Read it for yourself. So he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. So he goes to his hometown. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Now look what he does. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, which, by the way, is like one honking big scroll. It's big. They're massive. I've seen these. They're huge. So he's handed the scroll. And when he had opened the book or rolled out the scroll... He found the place where it was written. Look what this This is so awesome. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. The Hebrew word is meshach, and it means to smear on. So God is like anointed him. He smeared him on. Just pretend you're just putting margarine on a piece of toast. Smearing it on, covering it up. He says he is anointed, smeared me. Look at what he said. He has anointed me. And that, that anointing is the spirit. It's the, it's the empowerment. He says this, to preach, to proclaim the good news, the gospel. What would be good news to the poor? You had to be poor with no mole. I, I, and I'm not into the whole God, you know, uh, prosperity thing. I'm just saying there's, if it's good news to a poor person, I would assume it might have something to do with, with God is going to take care of you. Can I get an amen at least to that? Can we agree at that level? He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Now, remember what we read earlier, that as he is, so are we in this world? His mandate is our mandate. So look what he says. To set free, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Do you know anybody who's oppressed? I know nobody in the church is, but those people out there, come on. 
I'm telling you, the church needs a revolution, needs a, an, an outpouring of God's Spirit to the point where we get free so we can actually help them get free. So funny. We're, we're like trying to go out, and, and, and it's like a blind literally leading the blind. The church is, is we've become anemic because we have, we have neglected to tap into this which has been afforded to us. So he says this. This is what we've been anointed to do. Set at liberty those who are oppressed. Next one. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now look what happens. Then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and all the eyes of, uh, and all they were, of who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Oh, yeah. Because look what he says next. This is huge. He began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, that caused no small stir. Because they understood that was a prophetic or prophecy about the coming Messiah. And so when he declared that, he's basically saying, by the way, I'm him. That's me. <laughs> They're like, kill him. I mean, they just went berserk. They freaked out. So what I want to talk to you about is that, and, and the reason I'm setting this up is because I want you to understand who we are called to be and what we are called to do. Because it's not enough for us to just come together and have good church services. Praise God. I have fun. It's, it's awesome. I love gathering. I was so excited all day to see you guys, your family to me. But it's not enough. There's more. Someone say there's more. Turn to your neighbor say there's more. Turn to your other neighbor and say there's definitely more. Did everybody get covered here? Did we miss anybody? You in the booth. You guys get covered back there? In the hallway, Michael. Did you get that? Okay, good. All right. He's listening in the hallway. So we understand there's more, but we have got to begin to put fear behind and step out in love towards some things that are going to be risky. I've quoted this before. Wayne Gretzky said this, I miss 100% of the shots I never take, which means we as a church ought to grab hold of that and go, we have not been taking shots. You can't miss something if you don't take shots, but you certainly will never hit anything if you never take a shot. So we have got to take the risk. Well, I don't know. You know, my tradition says, I don't know. I've been taught that. I don't know. Well, let's, why don't we just read the book for ourselves Listen, I am a preacher, but you know what? You should be reading this book for yourself. Because if you depend on me to get to spoon feed you this, you're going to come up way short, folks. You should be in this word. The Holy Spirit in you is your spirit of truth. He will lead you and guide you in the truth. He will teach you of this book. So you've got to understand, my role is to motivate and equip you to do the work of ministry. So here's what we're going to do. Ready for lab? All right, we're going to do something tonight. Anybody nervous? It's okay if you are. We've been doing it. We've been trying. What we're trying to do is, is a body here on Wednesday nights is practice learning to hear the voice of God. Now, God speaks in a lot of different ways. For me, typically, literally nine times out of ten, I get scripture. I'll get a verse that may be relevant to a situation. Other people get other things. Annette was, was uh, today away from the house, out doing some things, and the Lord gave her a picture as she was praying of a waterfall. So she comes back, and she goes, I had this, this strange, this, I got a picture of a waterfall. All we're doing, folks, is trying to learn. We're trying to learn. We're stretching. We're stretching. We're taking shots. So she told me about this picture of a waterfall, and I'm kind of grinning the whole time she's telling me because what she didn't know is that I had been reading Psalm 42 as the deer pants for the water brook. But what you don't know is in Psalm 42, 5, it says, as deep calls unto deep. I can't, I can't quote it. You got it right there? Awesome. 
deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. So, so you know, I mean, so we were like, wow, interesting. We both had a similar thing. Me, the Lord, very consistent, speaking through the scripture. She got a picture. So we we're like, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, I mean, Roy had a picture two weeks ago of a tsunami. Uh, Pastor Julio Saron from Monterey, Mexico, who was with us, uh, had a word about a tsunami, and he literally saw it coming in the back door, picking everybody up. This is a good thing, by the way. Picking everybody up and lifting everybody up to a new place. And he said, in, in his words, you know, as you know, a tsunami, everything it touches, it affects. And, that, and it came in and it flooded this place, and we were completely all touched and affected by the, the flood of God, the waters of God. Of course, I went immediately to Ezekiel 47. talks about it became a river that I couldn't even cross. We're in over our heads. So anyway, all that to say is God speaks in a lot of different ways. So here's what we're going to do. Everybody stand up. This is where it gets fun. All right, we're going to get in groups of three tonight. Groups of three, and it and I know this is really awkward, but it's okay because we love each other, right? But it would be really cool if if you're new here, it's okay. You can stay together. I feel like I'm talking to the fifth grade Sunday school class, but anyway. But if if but really if take a chance, step out of your out of your little zone here, and maybe get with somebody you don't know. Maybe find somebody you don't know well. And what we're going to do, we're going to listen. We're going to do a little lab moment here. And we're going to pray. We're going to listen. And then we're going to see what God says. But I'm going to give you a little direction because we've been doing this a little different every time. So go ahead and get in groups of three. Now, go. Go. Congregate. Get together. Groups of three. Groups of three. Groups of three. Groups of three. How are we doing? All right, everybody in a group of three. We we are we doing well? Who needs to be? A, who needs a group? All right, we got over here. Got some. Uh, did, did you just connect? Did you just make it happen? Raise your hand if you need a group. Alan, you're not raising your hand. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. You you can start playing. Lawrence, can you uh, turn the sound on so we can get some mood music going? A little Ghani action here. Just kidding. You know what I love about God's anointing and present? It's not fragile. We are, but it's not. He's not. So, all right, we're gonna get, get a little sound here. All right, what we're gonna do? Here's here's your direction. We've done this twice before, and it's been phenomenal as we've listened. And the first time we did it, we, we paired up, and then we, we asked God to speak to us concerning the other person. And there were some beautiful things that happened there. The second time we got together, we asked the Lord to speak in a more general sense to us individually. And then we had a piece of paper, and we jotted it down. And like I said, there were scriptures. There were different things. And then it ended up where we had some testimonies. This time... Here's the direction. I'm going to ask the Lord to speak to us as a body about our community, about the city of Abilene. What does God want to do in Abilene, Texas? That's why I started the way I did about do you believe that God, could it be that God wants to touch a city 
with an outpouring of the Spirit. So we're going to ask the Lord to speak to us concerning our community, concerning our city. What is it that God might want to do here? I think God wants to tell us. But we have to dial in. We have to. It's like a radio where you're, you're, you know, everything's digital now. But there was a day actually when radios had a dial on them. I don't know if anybody remembers that or not. Where you actually had to dial in the frequency, and sometimes the frequency would move a little bit, and you'd go off frequency. You had to dial it back in, especially on AM. Then you'd have to find it again. But now in new days with digital, it's not such an issue. But, but what we're doing is we're 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 training ourselves. We're listening. We're saying, Lord. We believe that you speak to your kids because he even tells us, my sheep hear my voice and the voice of another or a stranger they'll not follow. I mean, we know God's speaking. When he stood before Isaiah, his voice went out. Whom sh- who will go for us? Whom shall we send? Isaiah said, well, I'm here. I'll go. So we know God's speaking, but we've just got to dial in. Jesus said, I, I don't do anything that the Father's not doing, and I don't say anything that the Father hasn't said. That's John chapter 5. So we know he's speaking. He even says, my father's been working even up until now. He's still working. So we know that. So what we want to do is take a moment and dial down and just literally just say, Lord, Lord, we're just learning here. We just want to just help us to dial in. So let's pray together. We'll do this. Father, right now, we just come before you as your kids. Father, we're, we're, we're intentionally being informal about this. We're trying not to produce some spooky moment. We just want to hear you. Sons and daughters right here of the king, sitting before you, standing before you, saying, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you speak to us? Your word says you speak in dreams, you speak in visions, you speak through the word, pictures. You gave Paul a vision of the man standing over in Macedonia where he literally saw the geography of the land and saw a man standing saying, come over here and help us. So we know you speak that way as well through visions. You gave Peter a vision of a sheet being let down by its four corners and it went up three times and you were showing him that the the gospel that, that you were making and you were touching the Gentiles and they would no longer be unclean. It was a vision that you gave him at Cornelius' house. We know you speak in visions. So, Father, how do you want to speak to us tonight? We're listening and so we ask you to speak, Lord. But, Father, we're asking on behalf of our city, Abilene, Texas, Father, what do you want to do here? Show us, Lord, what you want to do here. What is your heart for this city? What is your heart for this community? What is your desire for for even the churches of this community from all different backgrounds, denominations, and non-denominations? What do you want to do through your churches? What do you want to do in your churches? Would you speak to us concerning that? Father, what is our role as a church? Grace Point, what is our role in all this, this bigger picture, Lord? We're, we're your kids. We're listening. Sons and daughters, we're listening. So would you speak to us, Lord, right now? Would you just speak to us? We're listening. I want everybody just, your heads bowed, your eye closed. Would you just listen? God's probably already been speaking to many of you. And would you just hold that just for a moment and maybe just ask the Lord. Maybe this is new to you. Maybe this is something different. But just... Just say, Lord, speak to my sanctified imagination, my holy, set-apart, sanctified imagination. You created it, so I'm setting it apart so that it's holy unto you. Because I've given it to so many other things in my life. Now I'm giving my imagination to you, Lord. So sanctify, 
Set it apart. Speak, Lord. We're just listening, Lord.